time we have and if you want it in a half hour or an hour or what Lord God we just ask you to send your spirit upon her anoint her words anoint her mind anoint her heart that total surrender of Mother Mary let it be done to me Lord just touch her heart and, and uh, touch our ears and our mind and our heart that we could hear your message that what you're asking of us is together we sing the blessing song May the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. May the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Father David. Um, thank you, everyone. I'm going to try to talk nice and loud so you can hear. Does that sound good? Okay. Um, I was really happy when Father asked me to talk to you about Our Lady, Undoer of Knots, this novena, and also about Our Blessed Mother. And just um, what an honor it is for us to have the Mother of God be given to us as our dear Mother. And for me growing up, I learned most about Our Lady from my own mother and my own father. So my mom and dad met um, at, in Wisconsin. My dad was in medical school and my mother was at um, Mount Mary College. And the sisters set them up on a blind date. My mother's dad had recently died and so she was still grieving um, his death. And at the end of um, this first date, he was taking her home, and they were talking out in the car for a few minutes, and my mother started to share about her dad um, passing. And as she started to um, cry just a little bit, it had been very recent, he reached into his pocket. He was raised in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, but his mother had always taught him he should always have um, a hanky in his pocket. So he reached into his pocket to get his hanky out for her, and his rosary fell out. And when his rosary fell out of his pocket, he smiled and said, my mother also taught me to always carry my rosary. And so their love story began. She said, as soon as that rosary fell out, she knew that this was the one. Isn't that funny? And um, they did, sure enough, go on to marry and raise a family in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. And um, through the years of, of uh, practicing medicine and raising eight children, they, they learned how to lean into Our Lady and the Rosary to keep their family on the right path. And so we did pray the rosary together as kids. We had a beautiful statue of Mary in the house. We did all of that, but it wasn't so much the praying that changed my life and the lives of my brothers and sisters. It was the way they acted. So when the birth control pill came out in the 1960s, my dad had already been fighting abortion. He was not, uh, he was a very, very good doctor. Um, he was not a well-spoken person. 
Like he wasn't used to getting up and speaking. My mother could do that because she was a teacher. But he was a more of a quiet man and um, an intellect and a very, very good doctor. So when abortion, when the birth control pill came out, he studied it. He really studied it. And he told my mother that he would never allow her to go on it. And if he would not allow her to go on it, he could not give it out. And so you can imagine when the pharmaceutical companies are pushing this on the whole nation. It was a really big money builder. And it did offer some answers and some solutions to controlling the size of our family. <coughs> but at that time, no one was prepared for what was going to come. And so he started to teach his patients. He would pull it out and he would teach them. And some of them did not go on the artificial birth control pill. But many, many people's children did. In the colleges at this time, they were going into the colleges and going into girls' dorms with little pink cases that had the pink pill in it. And they were talking about how great this would be that they could get together with their boyfriends without being married if they just took this little pill. And in some of the research that I've done, many of the women who were given this pill didn't want it. They were like, well, why would we want that? And the pressure that started to be put on them is if you're going to be in the modern times, if you're going to be with it, you're going to have to not be so old-fashioned. And so the pressure came on very many of our young people to start to take the birth control pill. And with this lie began a lot of undoing, a, lot, a, a big undoing of some of the morals of our country, which has kept America very strong. Because the family is the foundation and the schoolhouse of love. It's where everything, it's where we learn how to belong, it's, learn how, it's where we learn how to get along, <laughs> and it's where we learn how to give back to others. And so I, I thought this morning when we start to talk about Mary Undoer of Knots, why, where should we begin in this novena? Why is this novena important? And why is Pope Francis asking us to pray this novena? And so I was, met, I was thinking about my mom and dad and how they turned to Mary to have a stronger marriage and to have a stronger family. I remember one day going out in my dad's truck to get something for him, and there was a rosary hanging there. And I said to my mother, I said, why does dad have a rosary hanging in his car? And she looked at me and she says, well, he prays the rosary every day on his way to the hospital. And I said, well, why would he do that? And she looked at me and she said, if you had seven daughters, you would pray the rosary every day too. <laughs> now, at the time, I didn't know what she was talking about. But now as a mother, I do know what she was talking about. So um, for my own self, what happened a few years ago was one of my kids was dating somebody and I just didn't think he was happy in the relationship. And that was because whenever he would bring this young lady over for dinner, he would never talk. It just, it just wasn't his personality. He was quiet, 
She did a lot of the talking. I entertained. The other kids were there. And I just had that interior gut feeling that something was not good in this relationship. And so I talked to my husband about it, and we talked to him a little bit about it. But basically, once they leave the home, it can be very, very difficult to have feel like you don't have much control anymore. Not that you ever did. <laughs> so I decided one morning that I would start this novena. And I, I did it really purposeful. I, I got all the kids out the door to school. Everybody was, my husband was gone to work. And instead of leaving to go to work myself, I sat in my rocking chair. I prayed the whole rosary, which I don't know if that's required. I don't think it is in the novena, but I did it. And then I prayed the prayer. And I followed the novena, which we have copies of. Father's going to talk about that later. But I did, I did day one. And then I felt, as soon as I started it, I felt a peace come over me. And I did this, unbelievably, for nine days. I did the whole novena every morning, even when on Saturday when they're all, like, messing up the kitchen, making the pancakes and breaking stuff, you know what I mean? There I am in my chair. <laughs> you know, our lady under her mouth. What happened was, at the end of this nine days, my son came home for dinner that night. It was right at the end of it. It was so clear that this was my answer. He came home. We were having dinner. I asked how, you know, college was going, how things were going. And then I asked how this relationship was going. And he just looked at me and he said, Mom, I broke up with her. I said, and oh, I'm so happy, you know. But I didn't act like it. Oh, why did you do that? <laughs> he goes, I don't know, but... In the last couple weeks, for some reason, every time she talked disrespectfully to me, I stood up for myself and said, please do not talk that way to me. And the more I stood up for myself, you know, she would want to go in the afternoon and watch a movie, and he wanted to go study. But he had been going and watching movies and doing what she wanted all the time. His grades were slipping, and he wasn't happy because he felt so pressured to please her. And he goes, I don't know, I just started doing what I felt like I was supposed to be doing, like studying. I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> and the more he stood up for himself, the more angry she got. And then she started to yell at him and put him down. And that's when he knew that this one was not for him. After they broke up, it became really weird. Her emails, her texts, everything, because he showed me some of them. And I said to him, Michael, do not ever allow anyone to talk to you that way. I said, no, you have to pray for her and you forgive her. Because she has been brought into a world where that's what we do with people. If they don't give us what we want, we walk all over them and we treat them this way. But that is not how we act. I said, do not reply back to her. Do not be cruel to her. Do not respond at all. But 
You need to know that this is not about you. It is about her struggle to try to make sense of this world. I believe that young lady came back to the faith and is now practicing and is happily married. But sometimes God has to stand up to what is right and wrong through us. Through us. We have to let the light of our faith penetrate us. And we have to be open to letting the truth be spoken when it's important. That novena taught me not only is it important to pray for the graces, but then to recognize how God's going to undo some of these knots. It's going to be through me and you standing up for what is right and then asking God to help us to correct what's wrong. What's wrong in me? Yes. And what's wrong in other people? Yes. But also to help us to see each other the way he sees us. His friends down at the dorm. So he was at, he, he went to the, uh, my son went to the University of Minnesota. His friends in the dorm noticed the change in him. They noticed the change in him. And, and he was able to witness to his faith through this because he always went to church at the University of Minnesota. He always went to the Newman Center and went to Mass. And he would invite the guys to go in his door, but, you know, he was more like, he, he had a, he had a, my son had a line and he'd say, um, he'd always just say, um, um, how would he say it? You should go. He didn't ask them if they wanted to. <laughs> he he goes, you should do this. You should do this. And sometimes they would just... <laughs> because somebody's going to lead you. And what the problem we have right now is we don't have enough leaders. We don't have enough people who are, who are strong and who are teaching people, this is what you should do. This is what you should do. One of my... Um, I have seven sisters, and, or six sisters, and a brother. And my, my brother, um, during some time of his college years, he had decided that he wasn't going to go to Mass anymore. And my dad caught wind of it through the, my sisters or, you know, my mother. And he came home and they were having breakfast. And my dad just looked at him and said, you know, um, I heard you weren't going to Mass anymore. And he just said, yeah, that's right. I just, I'm not sure what I believe in. And he said, well, I can tell you this much. There is nothing that is more important than the Holy Eucharist. That's what he said. He said, so, I think you should get to confession and get back to Mass. You should do this. And he did But is every kid going to do that? No. But at least it's kind of like Moses. God said, do this, and Moses did it. And so I think that we have to do our part. You know, with the gifts and the talents 
that God has given us. That we have, to, we have to do our part and we have to act in faith. And Our Lady wants us to know that she is working so hard right now to bring the world back to Jesus. So Sister Faustina said that the world will not know peace again until it returns to Jesus. And right now, um, National Geographic magazine had an article in it last year. I don't know how many of you saw it, but it had a picture of the Blessed Mother on the cover, and it said, Mary, the most powerful woman in the world. Has anybody seen it? I have the magazine out in my car. It's in my, with all my files out here. I just, when I saw it, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. So I went and bought the magazine and read it. And it goes over all the apparitions and all the countries where she is appearing all over the world. So we know about Guadalupe and Fatima and Lourdes, but there's tons of places. And, and also over in the Middle East right now, there's a tremendous conversion um, of the Muslim people to Christianity. It's not being talked about as much as all the bombing and everything, but, but Mary, Mary is a part of this. They honor her in, in the Blessed Mother in the Islam religion. She is honored. And so she is a part of all of this bringing everything together. And so we want to just think about like our own relationship with her. Where, where you and I are at. I, I, um, I, I really felt like I had a relationship with Jesus first. How many people felt that way? Some people, okay. And I feel like Jesus was like, you need a mother. <laughs> and so I was, um, in my younger days of college, I would go out running a lot. And I would start to pray the rosary. Not, and I can't, I'm trying to remember it from when I was a little girl. But I would go out and I would pray the rosary while I ran, and, and it would bring me peace. It would bring me peace. But it was really Mary who taught me to trust in Jesus. Because she did. She had to trust from the moment she said yes. To that angel. She had to trust. All the way through. She had trial after trial after trial. And I don't know about you, but I had called home to check in on my mom the other day. And my brother-in-law is very sick with cancer. They have, they have seven children. He's very young. And... He's very, very sick. And she was like, it just really challenges my faith to see how Scott can go through this terrible sin. And I said, Mom, I know. When we look at Mother Mary, as soon as she conceived a baby, she could have been killed. Out of wedlock. Then she has to go to a foreign country because the king is going to kill her baby. 
So she has to go to a foreign country. That'd be like you and I going to Europe or going to, you don't, you don't even need to have to leave your country with your baby because the president is gonna come and kill your baby. You gotta get out through the country and, and live someplace else with people you don't know. Then they move back. And then eventually Jesus is teaching and some of the people love him and some of the people hate him. It's just like us. Some of the people love us as Christians and some of the people hate us as Christians. Mary, Mary lived through all of this. But Pope John Paul II said that perhaps the deepest kenosis of faith which when she stood under that cross. And I think, how did she stand under that cross and not have a heart attack and die? Like, how, how, I can't imagine. I have a friend of mine, um, some of you met her, Brenda came with us. When, when she was um, <clears throat> a new mother, we both were new mothers together. Both of our sons were born at the same time and we named both of them Michael, unplanned. That was kind of fun. Then she, we both ended up working part-time together in youth ministry. And she told me the story. She was meditating on the passion of Jesus for Lent. And she asked God if he would show her how Mary felt. And that he could do it however he wanted. But she just she wanted to have a deeper understanding of Mary's love for Jesus and for us. And um, she said a couple nights later, she had this dream. And in the dream, her son, her baby son, Michael, was being tortured and ripped apart. And it was just this horrible nightmare. And she woke up and she knew that's what Mary went through. That's what she went through. And so, when Jesus was on the cross and Mary stood, she stood. She wasn't laying on the ground, passed out, having a heart attack. She wasn't doing any of that. That is because Mary had the Holy Spirit within her like you and I. She was full of grace. And she, John Paul II said, she took her place in Christ's messianic work. She stood in her ground. She stood. And God gave her the grace and the power to support Jesus in his agony. This is the part that we do not think about enough. This is what Father was talking about. We have within us from our baptism and our confirmation and the Holy Eucharist, we have the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Bum, 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 bum. That's why this is good news. If that's true, that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead 
is given to us in our baptism, in our confirmation, and in the Holy Eucharist, then we too are called to stand. We are called to stand in the midst of our trials and be what? Be hopeful. Hope against hope. Hope against hope. And so Mary endured the cross for the sake of the mission of Christ, which was to what? To open up the doors of heaven and to get God's children back. To get us back. To win us over. Now, why did it have to be this way? How many people just go, why are we in this? Raise your hand. Because <laughs> nobody ever asks this. Well, I ask these questions all the time. I'm terrible. Okay, so this is a true story. I was going through something, a really hard trial, and I just kept questioning, questioning, questioning. And I wasn't doubting. So I wasn't doubting. I was questioning. There's a difference. Okay, because when you doubt, you just don't believe. And if you don't believe, you can't hope, and you can't love, and you can't do much of anything. You get what? Fearful and depressed, like the world. And then we just get drugs. <laughs> Lots of drugs. <laughs> right? No. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, I was like questioning, questioning, questioning. And one night, I have this dream. And in the dream, this is true, Father. I'm like, why did I have her come here? Okay, I wasn't on drugs. Okay. So in this dream, a spaceship comes across the sky in the dream. And I'm watching the spaceship in my dream like this. And then it comes right above me. And I was like, oh no. And I wasn't afraid, but I was like, uh-oh. And then it goes, it stops. And the door starts to open. And I think, I think Mary's going to come out and talk to me. No, Jesus comes walking out, cartoon character. <laughs> and he looks at me and he says this, quit trying to figure everything out. <laughs> That's all he says to me. And then he smiles and he goes back into the spaceship. <laughs> the door closes. Goes up. And I'm watching it. <laughs> wake up. I was like, oh my gosh. That was it. That was it. I knew, I, you know that story in the Bible? If you stand and knock at the door long enough, like he's going to answer you? Well, he gave me the answer. And the answer was, knock it off. And so I started to look for scripture verses about that then. And the one I found was, let's see if I can remember it. For my ways are so high above your ways, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so far above you am I. And I was just so humbled. And not in a bad way, like where I felt bad about myself, but just like, Oh my gosh, Gina, you cannot figure this out. There's so, the heavens, we can't even see the heavens. We can barely see the moon in Pluto. You know what I mean? This, this is so huge. What we are called to. 
And so we have to learn how to trust in the Word of God. And the thing about this whole trust thing is, is it's not enough to say, I believe that Jesus came. I believe that he existed because even the devil believes that. What we have to say, be able to say is that we believe in Jesus. We believe in God. We believe that God is love and that God personally knows me and loves me. And I'm okay just how I am. How do I know that? Because God made me in my mother's womb. He brought me into existence. He did it. My parents nurtured and cared for me. But God formed me. He made me and he knows me. And so I have to believe that even though I have suffered in my life, that his love is greater. When I was going through a healing process, which is part of this whole undoing of knots, um, I've done the novena several times. I'm doing it right now for one of my other daughters. But I had done it for myself because I had just gone through a lot of, of suffering in junior high. So I was, I just, I really, really suffered a lot in junior high. And when I did the novena, I remembered a time when I turned 11 years old, so that's right when you're starting junior high, that I had had my golden birthday, and I had asked and asked and asked to have a birthday party. Now, when you have eight kids, you don't get a birthday party every year. You get family birthday party with cake. And I always got mine on the 4th of July because they were closed, so it was convenient. <laughs> so this year I just kept asking and asking for a birthday party with my friends on my birthday. Golden birthday, July 11th. And what happened was I got my golden birthday, July 11th, on the 4th of July. That's the way it was. But my friends got to come over. And my dad did not realize that I wasn't a little kid anymore. And he thought it would be funny to play a joke on me. And he turned me over and gave me a birthday spanking in front of these girls. And he, he had put, like, on my bottom his hand. So when he was spanking me 11 times, he didn't think it was hurting me. But what he didn't realize was that he was crushing my heart. I was so humiliated in front of these kids and they were all laughing which of course they were laughing at me is how I took it so anyway and so middle school began right so anyway this memory came back to me and I remembered it and I just oh I still felt that same pain and that same sorrow and I've been doing this novena and I've been praying for healing. And I forgave my dad. Of course I forgave him. He, he, 
just like Jesus on the cross, right? Father, forgive him. He does not know what he does, right? So I forgave him, and then I had another dream. And this, in this dream, it was like, I'm going to tell you, I haven't shared this um, with everyone. I, I, don't, I think God gives me dreams because I talk a lot, so it's one way to get in there when <laughs> I'm sleeping. But um, anyway, in this dream, um, I was talking to God, and I was looking up to the heavens, right? And it wasn't like I could see God. I, could, I was just looking up to the heavens, and I was, it was like very, because we're supposed to be childlike in our faith, but that doesn't mean like being like a little, little child, right? It's just childlike. And I said, Father in heaven, I give you, and it was that memory, that spanking in honor of the Holy Trinity. That's what I said. I give it to you in honor of the Holy Trinity. And the heavens parted. And there was the face of my father, but it was God the Father in him. And he was belly laughing. And he said, Amen. <laughs> and I just, I woke up and I just, I just started laughing. And I thought, Oh my gosh. I just saw a glimpse of God the Father. I saw him. He was big and strong and beautiful and loving, and it was my dad's face. What do you think about that? Isn't that something? Now, only God could have known, because he brought the memory back of when I was 11 of the birthday party. Then he worked through me to forgive him, to let the humiliation and the pain go. Because what happens is when we walk, when we're really humiliated or we suffer, if we don't think about the memory and we just don't forgive, like just sit with God and forgive, then it just kind of hangs on us. Does this make sense to anybody? Can you think of your old memories that you got to work through? Any? Because if we can do that, then Mary will work with us to what? That's the untying of the knots. And to just be free then. Be free. To what? To love people. And what happens is, is that if we can learn how to not let people offend us so much. Like this thing with my dad, I was a little girl, so I didn't know any better to be hurt, humiliated, and offended. And not only even so much offended, but just to be so embarrassed. And then to have those kids tease me so much in school for it. And, and to just it, just, it just was, it was always something. That, that period of my life. Where, I, where somebody was upset with me or didn't like me. And so I had to walk through those dark times until finally... I was able to go on a tech retreat. And it was on a tech retreat that I encountered Jesus. So I had been raised in the faith for all those years, but I didn't go on a tech retreat until I was a sophomore in college. And, my, and I, I tried so hard. Like in high school, I was a pretty good gymnast. And, and um, I was a, a pretty good student, and I was, I was kind of funny. I could tell lots of jokes and get people laughing because that was a gift that I was given. 
But it wasn't until college that I went on a tech retreat and that it went from learning about God here to realizing in here because people were standing up and talking about how Jesus changed their life. And I was just like, I just sat there and absorbed it all. I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, I always said my prayers, but I said them. You know what I'm talking about? I just said prayers. I just went to church. I did it because I didn't know what would happen if I didn't go because that's the way my dad and mother raised us. You went to church. When I was a senior in high school, I went to prom, stayed out all night long. All night long. Had a wonderful time. We were just having a great time. And I got home at 6.30 in the morning. And I knew if I went to sleep that dad would be there by 10 o'clock to get me up for mass. So I went over to the 7 a.m. mass. Put a bulletin on my door. And, I, and, and he opened the door anyway. He goes, did you really go? Yes. He goes, okay. That was it. You know? So... So it's okay to train kids and to say this is what we expect. Why? Because it's life and death. It is. And as adults that are wise and have been formed, it's exactly what Father is saying. Let your voice be heard through both prayer and just saying. The children need this. And you can do it in a loving way, and they might not listen to you, but I will tell you, the seeds go in and they do listen. They do know. Does that make sense? Okay. So, um, so what happened was, after I went on this tech retreat, I was right here, I was in the Twin Cities, a sophomore college, and I went in the chapel, and there was a picture of Jesus by the Blessed Sacrament, and I stayed up all night looking at that picture and talking to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And I was like, if you are real, and if you are really with me, this is a game changer. And I just, I, I wept most of the night. And I got up early when the sunrise was coming up over the cities. And I said, I will never, ever look at the world the same again. And, and, and then from there, the Lord just took me by the hand. And he started to lead me. But... On this retreat, they always send home a Bible verse for everyone. And guess what my Bible verse was? I still have this little thing. <laughs> Matthew 28, 18. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the world. Which is what you have. That's the promise. I am with you. And I am is God. I am God, and I am with you, and you are mine, and I am yours. And it, it changes everything. And so, um, so in all of this, number one, Mary will undo the knots of our life. And I think probably most of you know this, but what was the first 
not that Mary undid when she said yes to being the mother of God. She, she undid the knot of Eve. So Mary's whole existence undid the knot of Eve. And by bringing Jesus into the world, she allowed God to, through Jesus, undo the knot of Adam. And so Mary and Jesus are the new Adam and the new Eve, and we are their kids. We are the children of God. We are the children of the light. And something that's very important to remember that I'm going to throw in quick is that not only did Mary's yes heal the relationship between God and humanity, it also healed the relationship between men and women. Because at the fall, the consequence of the fall was that men and women who were created in the image and likeness of God, who were to serve each other and to love each other and to bring children into the world to image the Trinity. So marriage is in fact more like the Trinity than the single state. Did you know that? Marriage is more like the Trinity than the single state of consecration. The consecrated person is supposed to show us the eschatological meaning of our life. That's a big word I wanted to impress you with one. I had to look it up on my smartphone. <laughs> it means the final things. They are to point to the final things. Death, heaven, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. That's what the consecrated person is to image. The married people are to image the image and likeness of Christ, which is Trinity. And it is constant love. I love you, you love me, and the love pours out to everyone. Isn't that beautiful? And when the first Christian marriages were formed, people were so excited. Not excited, that's a bad word. The people were so drawn the people who weren't Christian were so drawn to these families because there was so much love. We had one, um, we had a student that came to visit our home from China, and he slept on the couch. And then our book, if you came, come and visit me in South St. Paul anytime you want, we got the living room wall. We have the Sacred Heart of Jesus up there. We paint. I took it in and matched the paint. So, my, so it's red, it's this beautiful red. It's the sacred heart of Jesus' wall. And we wrote Bible verses on all of the walls and painted them. I was like, we're going to be surrounded with peace here. And then we got, we got just stuff everywhere, saint books. And, you know, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful little house decorated with all our favorites. We've got St. Joseph's statue out there and all this stuff, right? And he comes into this house. And he's sitting around the table, and, and he thinks our family is big, with four kids and two, a mom and a dad. <laughs> you know, and he's like, in my country, we can only have one child. And my parents don't live together because one is forced to take a government job here, and the other is forced to take the other job here, so I've never lived together with my parents. And in the morning when I woke up to make coffee for him, he's on the couch reading the lives of the saints. <laughs> and he was attracted to, 
He goes, look at how wonderful this is. You could sit around the table and talk and laugh. Stuff we take for granted, other people don't have. And so what we want to do is we want to recognize that the love and the goodness that we have in our families as Catholics is from God. And it's holy. And if we can do that, then when we irritate each other, when we're, you know how we get offended even with our loved ones at home, right? Right? Like Father's joke. Right? But some of us take it beyond a joke, Father. And so we need to let go for the sake of love and not be so offended and to not be so self-absorbed, but to what? To be grateful. To be grateful. Because once we start to be grateful and we forgive, then we can share our gifts and we can share our talents and we can help build up the kingdom of God here on earth. And it begins in our family and in our parish family. And, and when we start to do what Father was talking about, getting critical, people are thinking, oh, that can't happen, that can't happen. Why can't it happen? Why can't we, why can't we build this or have this or do more for our elderly or do more for our youth? Why can't we? And I'm going to tell you what, don't let the bankruptcy thing stop you. Don't let that stop you. That, God allowed that because he is cleaning out the rubble. He is cleaning up the, his house. And don't give that too much attention. But pray and ask Our Lady to protect us and to help us and to keep bringing the faith to our children and to the family. We're down in the Twin Cities, and I have all these high school kids that we're trying to bring to the Lord. And it's, I, I could never do it. I couldn't do anything if it wasn't our Lord doing it. I just, I just couldn't do it. It's too hard. There's, there's so much brokenness. But we just, we just keep trying. And so we pray um, at our parish, we pray 3,000 rosaries for this summer pilgrimage we do. We do 1,500 rosaries per bus. We offer a mass every month for the youth. And parishioners, besides doing the morning rosary, there's a thermostat in the back. And they sign up. And some of them don't want their names down, so they just put a fake name or they put an initial. But they sign up and we keep track of those rosaries. Because I asked Our Lady, I said, I can't do this, it's too hard, what should we do? And it was right away, have the parish pray the rosary and I will help you. And I'm like, how many rosaries? And I'm thinking like 100 rosaries. And I hear a thousand. I was like, a thousand, that's so many, you know? And then what happened was we got two buses going. Well, then we need 2,000. And then we got all these kids coming to church every Wednesday night to pray, have adoration, and go to confession. Every Wednesday night, they come from all over. And now we got to pray for our priests because they're exhausted. But this is happening. Because what's happening is that, that the kids are so hungry for truth and for love, but we got to give it to them. You know, and then I have to tell you, people are like, because I take them to a Franciscan conference. Have you heard of them, Steubenville? But I take them someplace besides St. Paul. Because it's not about just the conference. It's about getting in the bus and going somewhere and being together. They love it. And so then I got negative 
remember what Father said, negative, negative, negative? So people will be like, well, why can't you just go to the conference in St. Paul? It'd be so much cheaper. It'd be so much easier. And I want to say, what is easy about the faith? So, so I was praying. I was like, Lord, why so far? This year, 10-day pilgrimage, 100 kids, 80 kids, 20 adults. Lord, why so far? I need time to change their hearts. He needs time. We've got to unplug them. We've got to teach them. We've got to form them. And so we do this, and what we do at our church is those kids, we do a raffle, and they sell raffle tickets for $10 a piece. And every kid has to sell 10 for the pot. Then after that, they can sell for their own trip. And so just by doing this raffle, we get $8,000. And that's what I use for scholarships for all the kids who can't afford to go. And they write private notes to me, and no one reads them but me, and we just give the money to the kids who've got to go. And then other people step forward, and they just make donations. They donate water. They donate... Um, I, I have the, 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 the um, mothers and the grandmothers in the church have given me advice on how to do this. They're just, Gina, do this. Gina, do this. Gina, do this. And then they'll be like, everyone's well, could you tell those kids to clean up their mess? <laughs> yes, ma'am, I can do that. <laughs> and and isn't, isn't it a wonderful problem to have... A messy church after a pilgrimage, but a bunch of kids come home, and Father sees them then coming to Mass, bringing their families back to Mass. There's kids who go to church all by themselves, their families don't go, because they have a relationship with Jesus and they believe in the Eucharist. So, we are the body of Christ, and I'm going to just, before we close... I think this is a good time to close. I'm just going to do a little quiet prayer and ask the Lord how to, what I should close with, to get what story to close with. That's okay? Okay. Okay. So the word I'm getting is um, forgiveness. And so something that Pope... Francis said in his letter on joy to the church is he said that God our Father is kindly requesting that everyone return to the church now. And and he stated it so humbly and kindly requesting that we return to the church. And so our job is going to be to let people know that. There was a woman that I read a lot of her books, Corey Ten Boom. Has anybody read her? Okay, so this is the story that's coming to me to share with you. When Corey was a little girl, she and her dad were going into town, and, and she was like, 10 years old, 11 years old, he had a suitcase filled with heavy clocks because he, clock, he was a clock fixer, and when they'd go into town, these clocks were all fixed, and he would go into town and return them to the customers, and he'd get new clocks, but he always did his work at home. So she was going with them, 
And on the way into town, she said, Daddy, can you tell me where babies come from? And she was asking questions about sexuality. And he looked at her and he said, Corey, will you carry my suitcase for me? And she got up, she tried to carry it. She said, it's too heavy, Daddy. And he said, that's like the question you asked me. <laughs> he said, will you trust me to carry this for you? And when you're old enough, your mother and I will tell you. And she said, okay. So years later, she and her family was sent to a concentration camp. Um, her, her sister did not survive. Her dad did not survive. But she did survive. She said one night when she was in this concentration camp with bugs in the mattresses and hardly anything to eat, she felt like she was going to go mad. Like, she, you know that whole negativity thing? That's what it is. And so she started to pray. And she, she didn't curse God. And she didn't give up on her faith. She just cried out to heaven. And she said, Father in heaven, how can I bear this? How can we bear this? And she shut her eyes. And the memory came back to her of being a little girl and her father saying, will you trust me to carry this for you? And she knew that God was saying, will you trust me to carry the big stuff? And she said, yes, I will trust you. And she said, peace, filter, and joy. And then within the concentration camp, she was able to encourage and help other people to not lose their faith. Isn't that beautiful? And so how this works is that you have to pray and ask God to help you to remember what is good. The memory is what will keep you positive. Help me to remember the good. So when it was snowing down in the cities and a whole bunch of people were upset, I just kept saying, I love snow. It's beautiful. I do. Yeah, sure, it's kind of a pain, but you know what? It's beautiful, Jesus. You know? I just stay positive. I was like, my husband's so annoyed with me. I was like, think we go skiing? He's like, you know, in April, you fish. You know? <laughs> so anyway, uh, but use your memory, and then your memory has to strengthen your will. Your will is what you choose. And so you choose to be negative. You choose to curse. You choose to speak bad about other people. You choose to accept the negative. How do I know that? Because I have done this. And I got convicted of this. I had a woman who shared with me, who was praying with me, and she says, she said, you have a spirit of offense. You're offended easily. I go, I am. <laughs> Okay, so anyway, she said, the enemy is trying you through this. But she said, you have free will. And she said, it's kind of like an octopus. He's trying to get one negative thing around your mind, one around your heart, and one around you. Why? So it squeezes you in so you can't be hopeful, you can't be joyful. 
And I, I was so amazed. So I went to reconciliation, and I examined my conscience, and I thought, I've done this forever. From the time I, you know, as a child, all these things that would happen, negative things to me in middle school, I'd, hold, I'd be offended, offended, offended. And when you're offended so much, you can get bitter and angry, and you can get filled with hatred. And so I'm confessing all this stuff, the priest is just smiling, you know. Well, anyway, what happened was then for the next two weeks, I had people offend me all the time. Like it kept happening and happening. Crazy things. And I would be like, I will not be offended. I will not be offended. I will not be offended. Because what she, what she told me was, you have freedom in God to choose to do what's right. You don't know why people are doing things that are wrong. She was, do you know why so-and-so did this? Do you know why so-and-so does this? Do you know why so-and-so does this? I was like, I have no idea. She goes, either do I. So quit judging them and quit being offended, offended by them and get moving on with your life. And so that is what we are up against. We have to let the old go. Let it go. And when it comes after us, just say, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to forgive. I'm not going to judge. I'm not. And as soon as we fall or do make a mistake, just say, Jesus, I'm sorry, he forgives you. Don't hold on to it. It's kind of like in the winter you put on all those cloaks, right? And in spring, what do you got to do? Winter cloak, right? So I hope, I hope that helps. Um... Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, undoer of knots, pray for us. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Saw your Father. <laughs>